God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Come, Jesus, through your spirit. Speak, Lord, we want to listen. Amen. When I was four, my parents told me I could have anything I wanted, and I was four. So I didn't think ahead too much. I wanted sheep. The reason my parents said, you can have anything you want, that wasn't a request, uh, that wasn't something they normally said to me, was because I was getting out of the hospital. When I was four, I almost died. I was life-flighted to a, the biggest hospital in the state of Iowa. I was in a coma, and the church got to praying. And so when we talk about the Lord being our healer, I know, he is our great healer. And I'm here today in part because of the Lord's great deliverance in my life. And so as I got out of the hospital against odds, uh, against the doctor's odds, uh, my parents said, you can have whatever you want, and I wanted sheep. <laughs> and I learned a lot about sheep uh, that summer. I was a farm girl from Iowa, and I loved animals, still do. And one thing I learned about sheep is they are not the brightest barnyard animals. <laughs> so I think it's God's sense of humor, don't you, that we're often referred to as, as sheep? Another thing I learned about sheep is that um, they're less... Uh, careful about doing other things. Like a lot of animals, they're more conscientious when they do their thing. They, they go to a particular part of the field, a, a, a certain area, but no, not sheep. Just anywhere they do their other things. And so it was impossible for me to get in the sheep pen without something to carry home. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and today, scripture is about sheep. One thing I also learned when I was four is that sheep, once they learn that you can be trusted, they follow. And so as I began to care for the sheep and love the sheep and name the sheep and feed the sheep, Every day, they began to know my voice, and they would follow me as I climbed into the pen. And today's text in John 10, Jesus has on his mind sheep. Did you notice that? And as I started feeling uh, nudged around this text, maybe my pastoral care heart uh, loving uh, this community, loving the students, the faculty and staff, I kind of simply just wanted to say, our life calling beyond our temporal jobs and titles and positions are to seek to listen to God's voice and follow him. That's our lifelong calling, and so I want to exhort you and me 
to be about that calling, to remember that Jesus is the good shepherd and to follow his leading. And yet, as often happens, I know we're here at seminary and many of you have, you know, prepped for a sermon, worked on, you know, getting in the text and studying and being true to the text. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but the text started leading me to other places. And uh, it, it struck me that chapter 10, uh, you know, there used to not be those chapter breaks, as Dr. Tennant taught us and other professors, right? And so it's important for us to what? Look at the context. So if you go to chapter 9, you begin to see that chapter 10 is a continuation of a conversation. So what's going on in chapter 9? Jesus goes and heals a blind man. And Jesus, maybe he was thinking about farmland, I don't know, but he, he does this healing in a kind of earthy way. You know, some healings he just speaks and it happens, but this healing, he spits. Huh? He spits into the mud, makes a mud patty, and smears it on the man's hand, uh, eyes and tells him to go wash, and that's how the blind man is healed. Well, word gets out that this man who's been born blind is healed, and the religious leaders call him in to interview him, to ask him questions. And the man uh, very simply says, I don't know who it was who healed me, but I know this. Huh? Can you help me? I was blind, but now I see. Huh? That's so good, we got to say it together. I was blind but now I see. That was not good enough for the religious leaders. That was not enough. And um, they didn't find the answers satisfactory. So they call in the parents of the man who was healed. And they ask the parents a lot of questions. And the text in chapter 9 gives us a hint of what's really going on. Because the hint comes in chapter 9 where it says the parents were afraid of the Jews because they had learned that anyone who confessed that Jesus is the Messiah would be expelled out of the synagogue. In other words, there began to be a power encounter, right? The religious leaders versus Jesus. And there began to be this competition of who's in charge and who's following who. And so the parents shrewdly say, our son's of age, ask him. They do acknowledge, yes, our son was born blind, and now he can see, but beyond that, we don't want to say anything, ask him. They were afraid of the religious leaders. We also get a hint in chapter 9 that the belief, the kind of operant theology of the day was that if a man was born blind or something like this, it was commonly believed that they must have been a terrible sinner. They are their parents. And yet Jesus answers that question when his disciples ask him that in chapter 9. And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. 
amazing. So Jesus kind of corrects some, some working theology right there, doesn't he? So this is more than a physical healing here. You see that? So the parents don't answer satisfactory, so then the religious leaders call the man in again who was healed to ask him more questions. And at this point in chapter 9, it goes from kind of an interview to an interrogation. And there's a lot of irony built into the questions and the answers. A lot of irony going on here as um, the man says, um, do you want to be his disciples? You're asking me lots of questions about this Jesus, <laughs> right? To that, the religious leaders get really ticked. And they start belittling the man who was healed. Huh? They become bullies. And they begin to remind the man who was blind that he must be a terrible sinner. And they drive him out of their presence which also means he loses the status and the community and the worship place, right? So here he is, just cast out. And Jesus comes looking for him again. And here's another healing, right? Not just healed from blindness, but Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? Proclaims, Jesus proclaims his identity to the man who now can see him. And the man responds with worship and belief. And then Jesus addresses the Pharisees. Listen to these uh, non-soft words. I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. The Pharisees, sensing that he was maybe talking about them, said, you don't think we're blind, do you? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. And that's the context of chapter 10. So when Jesus starts talking about the gate, the good shepherd, the thief, the robber, the wolves, Jesus is talking in that context. And Jesus begins and says, I tell you, anyone who climbs into the sheep pen, not using the gate, who climbs over the fence, says they're a thief and a robber. You got it. Jesus is basically telling the religious leaders they're robbers. And the one who enters by the gate of the shepherd is the shepherd of the sheep. And then he goes on. He calls his own sheep by name. We were just singing about that, about how God knows our name. And he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead. And the sheep follow because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from a stranger because they do not know their voice. When my family used to live in the United Kingdom, we also enjoyed lots of sheep. And we went camping to Wales and uh, wanted to go and hike and see some, some ruins. And uh, 
in Britain, they have this lovely thing where there's fields everywhere and they have these little steps that you can kind of climb up and over the fence and go into the pasture and hike away around the sheep, around the cattle, whatever's going on in that field. So um, we had two young boys at this time. Uh, there's one of them, Eli. And uh, the first time we went hiking in Wales, my two young boys became mischievous. They are my children after all. <laughs> and they thought it'd be a really great idea to run at the sheep as fast as they could and yell at them and see what would happen. And so they did, they terrorized the sheep. <laughs> and I, no kidding, saw the sheep look up from eating First, no movement, and then all of a sudden they freaked out and just took off running as fast as they could. The boys learned that sheep can run faster than they thought. <laughs> and I saw one of the sheep run full throttle into the fence and like bounce off because they were so freaked out. I think that sheep might have been wounded. The next day we went hiking again and my boys decided a different strategy. So we climbed into the sheep pen, and this time my boys tried the sweet, gentle, you know, pulled up some grass, put it in their hands, walked slowly towards them saying, here sheep, here sheep, so gentle. The sheep were not impressed. The sheep were not going to answer the children, these strangers who were trying to play nice. But when out of the corner of the field, there came a farmer on his tractor with food. Boy, did the sheep know. And did they respond? They, they knew the farmer so well, they knew the tractor's sound. And they immediately responded, they knew that the farmer actually cared. These guys were posers, but the farmer was gonna feed them and care for them and provide for them. And, and I think in a nutshell, that's what the text is saying, isn't it? Saying, my sheep know my voice and follow me. They don't follow the voice of a stranger. And then he goes on in this text to have two great I am statements. Do you see those in chapter 10? I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. In other words, I, Jesus Christ, am the way to salvation, the way to life, the way to abundant life. I am the way, the gate. Come to me. And then Jesus later talks about himself as the good shepherd. And he says, how do I lead? I lay down my life, right? I lay down my life for the sheep. I so care for them. I so serve them. I'm willing to die for them. And of course we know that's Jesus prepping the real sheep, the real disciples of what is to come in the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so today I want to ask you a couple questions. And I'm gonna be upfront to say, I want to create some space and time for us 
for prayerful reflection. Um, before I do that, I want to say that um, I see in the text a warning to religious leaders. And all of us here worshiping in Estes, either online or in person, are either current religious leaders or soon to be, in training to be. And so I think it is um, something worthwhile for us to see this isn't just a beautiful text about Jesus proclaiming his identity, and it is. It is also a word of warning. Um, you know, as Christian leaders, we can, uh, we can begin to recognize that we have position and status and power and authority and that people are deferential to us. Have you ever experienced that? If not, you will. Uh, as somebody who's pastored churches, I I I've, I've experienced when people have treated my words as the very words of God without question. And that's a lot of responsibility, right? Those of us who are training to be counselors and pastors and missionaries and spiritual directors and on and on and on, we're going to be religious leaders. And so here's the question and the warning of, of what are we doing with that power? And as someone who's pastored, can I just be honest and, and, and confess that, that sometimes we want God to work for us instead of us working for God? Huh? I mean, I've been, I've been a pastor of a Methodist church, and I don't know if you, any of you know Methodist churches or not. Most churches have lots of this. It's called committees. Uh-huh. And, and churches want volunteers, leaders, to raise their hand and say, yes, I'll serve on this team, this leadership team, this committee. And, and sometimes, um, you know, we pastors, I, I've done something like this, you know, like gone up to somebody and said, well, uh, I need somebody to serve on the finance team. And I was praying, and your name came to mind. How do you argue with that, right? Huh? Now, was the motive good or bad? Perhaps manipulative. And we can do all kinds of slippery slope things as leaders where we're using God to work for us. And didn't that, isn't that what the religious leaders got into? They loved their position, their power, their status. And Jesus came on the scene, and he was competition. And Jesus started telling them they're blind. And Jesus started telling them they're robbers. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Like, he didn't mince those words to the religious leaders. Some of the strongest words of warning and judgment are to people like me and you. And so I, I just offer that um, 
to say, um, when I read through this text about being a sheep and following Jesus, it also, uh, I also hear a word of warning and rebuke. And in this text, Jesus says, I also have other sheep who are not of this fold. You know that missional heart of Jesus? And um, it reminds me of the text in Matthew where Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. And you know the context of that? Jesus warning religious leaders not to despise a little one nor cause them to stumble. So there's this great love of Jesus and care for the flock. And there's also kind of this mama bear, papa bear thing going on in Jesus. Be careful, these are my sheep. So here's my question for your prayer time. Do you know the voice of Jesus? You don't have to answer out loud. This is for your own reflection and prayer time. Do you know the voice of Jesus? Now, if you quickly and automatically say, yes, always, I want to say, careful. And I want to say that because I think the text calls for it. That sometimes, as leaders and followers of Jesus, we need to remember that we have clay feet. And that sometimes our wills and God's will gets mixed up and seems unclear to us. And so if you've never seen yourself as wrong, that would be a problem. And if you're overconfident that I always and everywhere know Jesus' voice, I would say to you, be careful, lest Jesus talk to you like he did the Pharisee. And when I search my soul with this text, I also feel a call to repentance in that, where I have been a leader and not been more careful with the sheep. And so maybe some of you here today will feel around that question a call to humble yourself and repent, or maybe to follow up and have a conversation with someone you know you hurt. I think there's others here when I ask the question, do you know the voice of Jesus, are going to say inside, honestly, I don't know. I'm not sure. And I want to say to you, just because you're in seminary, right, getting a master's or a doctorate, becoming an expert, I don't want to assume today. And the scriptures also say, Jesus himself also teaches us, ask, seek, knock. Huh? Jesus also exhorts us and says, if your parents know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does your heavenly father, come on, help me, know how to give good gifts so ask, if you're not sure about how to listen and discern the voice of God in your life, ask. Now, if you and I were sitting down over coffee, and you were saying to me, I'm struggling to hear the voice of God, one of my questions would be, are you reading the, your scriptures other than for an assignment? Are you reading them to 
grow closer to Jesus? And how's your prayer life? Because those are primary means of grace, right? You want to hear from God? Huh? Be in the Word. You want to be close to Jesus? Are you giving Him any time? That's why here at Asbury, we have Eucharist every day during the week. We have things where we talk about the means of grace, spiritual disciplines, because we're saying to you, create space to hear, to grow. Don't just get an education. Be transformed into the image of Christ. Listening to the voice of God. Perhaps that's our greatest call. Learning a lifelong learning of following and listening. And finally, many of us, if we asked ourselves the question, do I hear from Jesus, might say something like, yes, I hear from God, but I don't always get it right. And I want to hear more clearly. I want to hear more clearly. I want to follow Jesus closely. And to you, I want to say this. If this is the one thing you remember that's ever come out of my mouth, Everything rises and falls on your relationship with Jesus. Everything rises and falls on your relationship with Jesus. Your life, any ministry you may do. Don't neglect the relationship. And Jesus was constantly saying, and he says in this passage, you want to know how to be in relationship with me? Look at how the Father and I are. Huh? The Father and I are one. I'm always listening and watching my Father's cues. We're not in competition. We're in unity. You, my sheep, be one with me. Come close, and I will love you and care for you and show you the way. Everything rises and falls on the relationship. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, Sarah, if you would lead us in uh, some music. I just want to open the space. You can make the pew your altar. You can come forward and kneel and pray. But talk to God. Listen to God around this question. Do I know the voice of Jesus? Do I know the voice of Jesus?